Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Hello, everyone, again. And if you're just joining, thank you for coming with us today on this World Health Day 2021. If you've been here all day or part of the day, welcome again. I want to take a couple of minutes and just uh, talk about uh, some of the, the things that are happening at the end of the day before we start this last session. Um, you know, today's been a lot of incredible presentations and a lot of talk and some slides. And, you know, it's been a, a not a conversation, but, a, you know, a set of presentations. And we felt like there was a, a, a desire and we've just heard it from people over and over for a real conversation about health equity. It's uh, it's uh, something that stirs up emotion. There's a lot of ideas. Uh, and so um, Global Minnesota has partnered with Marnita's Table, which is a local organization that curates community conversations. In fact, they've been curating community conversations about health equity uh, on behalf of Blue Cross Blue Shield um, uh, throughout the country, but also throughout our region here. Um, and so uh, this evening after we're done, kind of afterwards, there'll be um, 5.30 to 7 central time in the U.S., um, a curated conversation that Marnita herself will be doing. And um, if any of you are interested in continuing in terms of a conversation, um, there will be a slide with an email to be able to um, connect and to uh, you know get that information. But I just wanted to, to alert you that some of you may be wanting to really have more of a conversation and um, Marnita's conversations and this particular topic is one that really does um, rise to the level of something that is going to be the continuing work, both for Global Minnesota um, and beyond. So watch for that slide. If you actually want to have a question about it, um, you can email me at just mrichie at globalminnesota.org, um, and I could get some information to you now. Our next panel and this conversation um, is one that's actually a very special one to me personally because uh, I've been very, very devoted to the question of involving our nation, our state, our community, our organization in the achievement of the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. You know, we have a 2030 uh, deadline, so to speak, of a lot of different, very specific things like zero hunger and reducing extreme poverty or reducing road fatalities by 2030. But it's clear that there's a special connection between equity and equality and meeting those sustainable development goals and especially health equity and equality. And so we've partnered with organizations from around the country that have really um, you know, put their focus on that. And we've done that because um, in Minnesota, we are proposing to support and to offer and to organize a world expo, like a world's fair in the summer of 2027 on the health-related aspects of the sustainable development goals. Healthy people, healthy planet is our sort of tagline, but it's an opportunity to partner with others. For example, the expo in Dubai that's taking place next winter, they've stated as their legacy goal, the creation of an inclusive global health system that's crisis proof and prepared for the future. And so those um, sustainable development goals and that global commitment to work together uh, really does fit, to, fit today's theme about health equity. And um, one of our partners in this work, Claudia Romo Edelman from the uh, founder of We Are All Human Foundation. She's been at the heart of much of the UN work around the sustainable development goals. Uh, she invited um, the Canada's ambassador to Canada, uh, Juan Jose Gomez Camacho, who was one of the organizers at the UN when he represented Mexico at the United Nations in the creation of and in the adoption of those sustainable development goals. David Navarro is a co-director of the Imperial College Institute of Global Health and Innovation, another leader in that campaign, in that effort to bring those sustainable development goals. 
And she invited uh, journalists, her co-hosts on Global Goals Cast. There's an entire incredible uh, podcast series that uh, Edie Lush from a journalist uh, from the UK who's really bringing these sustainable development goals into life and bringing them into our work by the methods of the social media round podcasts. And so um, Claudia has put together an incredible look at the sustainable development goals and how they fit together with our ambitions around achieving health equity and equality going forward. I'm so grateful that Claudia has put this together and um, uh, please uh, uh, sit back. And this is gonna be a very, very interactive and very exciting session. Thank you again. to this audience of decision makers and companies that are part of global Minnesota. I thank you, Claudia Romo Edelman, for being part of this panel on health equity. It's a subject that's never been more relevant than today because it affects millions of lives. And we've seen with the coronavirus pandemic, underway right now, that equity must be taken to an, into account in response strategies. Now, health equity among countries is just absolutely critical. It's wrong that people should face higher levels of suffering and risk of death just because of where they might have been born. We need to focus on what is happening now and what should happen and then how to get there when it comes to acting on health equity. Companies, as well as local leaders, have hugely important roles to play in enhancing health equity everywhere. And I suppose nowhere is this more important when it comes to understanding how minorities, including Latino people, are affected by inequity. Can they access healthcare? Can they get the necessary treatment that they need and deserve, given what they're suffering from? These issues need to be addressed. And that Focus here in Minnesota, if you get it right, will have a ripple impact nationally, both economically and socially. So I'm hoping that with Claudia today, you'll all look at what you can do to make a difference to health inequities, and you'll look at how you can be setting an example that will be meaningful far and wide in the United States and beyond. I do hope your conference is really fruitful and I look forward to hearing the outcomes. Thank you. Hi, thank you so very much for the opportunity to address you at Global Minnesota. Thank you, Mark Ritchie, for this wonderful opportunity to be celebrating with you, to be discussing with you this global, this health day, April 7, the World Health Day, never more important. My name is Claudia Romo Edelman. And I'm Edie Lush, and we are the co-hosts of the Global Goals Cast. Really delighted to be with you here today. And Edie and I were really talking about how important this uh, conversation is today. Never a more important year never a more important moment to be discussing health. And I think that the theme of your conference, um, health equity, is at the center of what probably can impact the lives of millions of people today and just like bridge the gap or, or, or join the gap, make it smaller 
or make it even wider. Um, Edie and I have a podcast, the podcast of the Sustainable Development Goals. I was working for the United Nations launching the Sustainable Development Goals, and I, um, it was clear to me how important it was to be able to have a place to be able to showcase the incredible contributions and the incredible progress that we're making uh, and the champions that are making that difference. And that's why we created this podcast, um, Edie and I just launched an episode particularly on health um, equity. Edie, would you like to share with our audience? I would. What's and in fact, we about? launched it as the beginning, the first episode of season five. Can you believe it? We've been going for three years, which is hugely exciting. And actually, Claudia, I was reflecting that almost every one of our episodes has dealt with this idea of equity in some way, closing the gender pay gap, getting all of girls into school, educating boys and girls equally, and equity in all access to clean water, for example, equity in accessing other aspects of healthcare. But in this particular episode, as you mentioned, Claudia, we talked very precisely about this idea of access to vaccine, equity in access to vaccine. We took the, the look from a really global perspective because we know that the 10 richest countries in the world actually have are on path to, to vaccinate most of their populations by the end of the year. Whereas the lower middle income countries in the world uh, through COVAX, which is a fantastic uh, institution, fantastic initiative, are on path to vaccinate about 30% of their uh, populations by the end of the year. So there is a real difference in terms of vaccine equity when you look at it on a global scale. And Edie, also part of the episode, on which is I hope that um, a lot of the conversations you have been having today is about what does it mean, health equity? What are the things that you as leaders, leading companies, leading states, leading organizations need to be aware about health equity, particularly in a time in which in which mortality has affected us so dramatically with COVID, in which health has been affected, economics have been affected, and now mental health for a number of people are coming all into play. And yet, now that we have a vaccine, we just have to make sure that we understand what does it mean to have equity? Where do we stand when it comes to openness or closeness about like taking in or sharing? And a lot of the discussion, um, Edie, a lot of the discussion that we have seen all across the world is about vaccine nationalism. Mm. And it's entirely understandable, right? Because as you've pointed out in the episode, if you're elected leader of a country, of course you want to protect your people. Of course, President Biden wants to vaccinate everyone by the 4th of July. Of course, Boris Johnson wants everyone in the UK to be vaccinated by July. You want to protect your people. We have all lost so much. And I know that both of us can speak from that from a personal basis. However, and it's really interesting because I think what we've asked national leaders to do is to act internationally. And that's not what they've been elected to do. So we do have a very different, uh, a kind of a, a clash between what leaders are elected to do, help and support their people, versus what the world needs, which is for people to act all together, altruistically. And actually, as we discuss in the episode, COVAX is an amazing way to get vaccine to the rest of the world. And it is absolutely right that we should support that. Uh, vaccine nationalism uh, is is intuitive where um, vaccine globalization is not, it's counter to intuitive, but as we discussed later today, uh, with our interview with Ambassador Juan Jose Gomez Camacho, Ambassador of Mexico to Canada, who has been a health expert for Mexico and in global affairs for decades, um, it is important to realize how interconnected the world is, that it doesn't really matter if you have one country that is vaccinated 100%, if you have health workers in Africa that are not, if you have... Um, care essential workers in Latin America that are not receiving the vaccine, 
it's gonna it's gonna come back because we're all interconnected and people are on the move. So it is important to realize the reasons, and we will go into that later in the interview that we have. It is the other thing that we discuss in the episode, which will frame, I hope, the conversation that we will have with Ambassador Gomez Camacho is vaccination hesitancy and how mm. important it is to realize that um, there is a lot of people that are hesitant, maybe because of trust, maybe because of lack of access. But at the end of the day, for the Latino community, 50% of every Latino has dropped their vaccinations all together. Not only the COVID vaccine, this COVID vaccine gave them fear uh, to start taking the, the vaccination altogether. So there's a real danger out there to have outbreaks in other diseases as well. So vaccine hesitation, vaccine nationalism, and at the end of the day, understanding health equity is equity for all. So why don't we, Iri, go into the interview that we have with Juan Jose Gomez Camacho, ambassador of Mexico to Canada, and then we can come back and just like talk a little bit about what ideas uh, we can all agree on that are good for us to have in mind, particularly for leaders attending this Global Minnesota Summit. It is a pleasure to be able to have a discussion here. Ambassador Juan Jose Gomez Camacho and I are delighted to be able to address you at uh, Global and uh, this incredible uh, summit that you have. And the conversation that we're gonna be leading in the next couple of minutes is about health equity. What is the issue? What are the things that we need to be contemplating? What are things that leaders need to understand about health equity, particularly in such a time? And for that, I'm Claudia Romo Elman, founder of World Human, and uh, Ambassador Juan Jose Gomez Camacho, Ambassador of, uh, of Mexico to Canada, but also not only an incredible expert on health and, uh, and govern governmental affairs, but also um, very, very involved in global health, uh, global issues from the very early days when I met you in, yeah, in Geneva doing uh, multi, uh, multilateral affairs. So let's start actually just like setting the scene. What do you think um, are the things that are right now at the heart of health equity? What is at risk? What should people know? Hey, gracias, Claudia. I think the, the drama of the pandemic is finally the hard way, if you like, making us understand um, the value of health, not only as health itself. We all understand that health is important because we are humans, but we don't see that health, in fact, goes well beyond health. Health means economic growth, Health means development. Health means equality. Health means jobs. Health means performance. Health means everything. And in the same way, the lack of health means the opposite. Means no business, means no productivity, means no workers' performance, means no community that businesses need, etc., etc., etc. So the first critical point is to understand this. Number two, in my view, and I'm always fighting the argument of, not to challenge your, your, your point, just let me explain it differently, the idea of equity or solidarity around health, and in this case, vaccines. Clearly, equity and solidarity now with the vaccines and the pandemics and all that, is absolutely critical and is intrinsic to everything we do on health, absolutely. But we also need to understand, especially if we're now addressing businesses, that beyond equity and solidarity, it is self-interest in a good way. Self-interest matters, and it's very important uh, to, to, to pursue it in the proper way. And when businesses and governments understand that by sharing vaccines, that by taking care of everybody, in reality, we are doing ourselves a very important service, then the logic changes. Let's go to the vaccines now. We all understand, and, and it's the same history always, or the same story always, whenever we have experienced pandemics and all that, is that 
we are we are motivated by fear, of course. We are motivated by self-interest, of course. It's, it's, it's natural. And we react by acquiring all the vaccines possible, taking care of ourselves first, etc., etc. Fair enough. It's human nature, it's normal, it's politics, it's everything. But at the same time, what we need to also understand, and this is my point of self-interest in the in the good way, that in reality, by trying to protect myself only, what I'm doing is precisely the opposite. What I'm doing by not helping the others is to make sure that I keep protecting myself, but the viruses, the pandemic, and the disease will keep not knocking my door all the time, all the time, all the time, because I'm not taking care of the rest. We can only be protected as long as we all are protected. In the most pragmatic point of view, you cannot address a pandemic like this country by country. You see? Country by country. Only all of the countries together. Otherwise, the pandemic won't stop. So back to your point of equity, and I was adding solidarity, uh, that is always also used. Equity and solidarity are fundamental, are principles, is ethical, is the right thing to do. But beyond that, or in addition to that, is the most pragmatic, smart, and self-interest thing we can all do. Let's work together. It's really out of pure pragmatism as well. But you see, I I, I, I could agree more. And nevertheless, um, if I would be addressing uh, some of the people in Minnesota that saw the birth of the racial uh, conversations, racial uh, uh, racial injustice, social injustice, you might be thinking like wait a second, so we have to really start looking at the world in a different way, uh, putting diversity and inclusion first, putting equity first as a way to achieve it. And yet, if you're America or the States, the United States, uh, you have seen 500,000 people die more than the World War, World II, World War II, uh, Vietnam, all together. And as leaders, there is an incredible, not only self-preservation that happens about, like, I have to take care of my citizens, I have to take care of my uh, uh, essential workers and health workers, but also elderly and also everyone else, um, not only for self-preservation issues, but for political reasons, for business issues, like most of the businesses that are, for example, um, in the Midwest, uh, probably have, you know, like multinationals, uh, General Mills and others, but also have a huge footprint in the States. And, and it is hard, uh, it is hard to, to, like, it's hard to imagine in a way like how countries, like Germany, Germany being so open-handed and open-armed for refugees um, only a couple of years ago, now it's like totally closed down, right? Or vaccines, because that's, that's lives that you're losing right there in that moment. So how do you how do you make that argument? And it's not only within countries. It's also it's not only outside countries, among countries. It's within countries. The Hispanic community, which I hope that we can address later, it's also part of that. But so how do you how do you make that balance? How do you actually say like what what is the right ratio uh, for you know like for health equity with with that uh, with that absolute knowledge that we have to take care of our people first that's business that's people that's lives of our citizens and at the same time understand that there's an, a correlation um, of providing vaccines to health workers in africa health yeah. workers in africa are getting their first doses of vaccines as we speak in march 2021 yeah. when um, when uh, a good deal of uh, more than 20 million people in america have received yeah. it. Well, I, I think first you're totally right in the in, in the analysis it's very difficult. This is at the end. It's human nature. Politics are human businesses. Everything is a human activity, and and, and we react like that. Um, I I go back to my to my point. Once leaders fully understand, and and one would have thought that is very obvious, but sometimes it's not that obvious. But once leaders, whether in the public sector or in the private sector, understand that. It is that the, the only way they can take care of their own interest, whether it's business or people, if you are a, a politician, is by 
taking care of everybody because otherwise it's only totally self-defeating, then I think you are on the safe side of the road. That's the first one. It's very difficult. And the second is leadership. Leadership. Politicians or business leaders that have the capacity not only to understand this, but to communicate and to explain. The biggest challenge of a politician on this, as in many other challenges, is that you are always, or they are always between doing what is necessary and being elected to office. And that's a very difficult balance to strike because you are listening, and, and in times of pandemic, this is the most dramatic example. When you have people, people are experiencing fear, people are dying, people are getting infected, they are demanding rapid response from your government, from my elected authorities, instead of being sending vaccines to Africa, as you said. So doing that is, to me, is the arts of a real politician. Again, doing the right thing, communicating properly, and persuading people that by doing that is, in fact, protecting them. It's a very challenging thing. I, I don't have a formula to that other than we've seen throughout history, both in business and in government, great leaders that can do it. That's probably what distinguishes a real great leader from those are not. And uh, I just like, probably we should speak a little louder um, so that all of you can hear us properly because this is, um, yeah. this is, a. Um, This is a very important point. But you and I um, saw firsthand the power of having a war chest, the global fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and yeah. malaria, the creation PEPFAR saying, instead of actually having so many different people running like chicken without head, like being panicking and, and distributing little pieces of money, let's create a point, a war chest, where everybody puts their monies, and then from here we'll distribute according to a heat map, according to a need base that yeah. will actually have a ripple effect in the world. And we saw, we saw it, like dramatic improvement. Prevention from mother to child, uh, uh, mother to child transmission prevented, no more, you know, like a generation free of being born with HIV. Yeah. Uh, so much progress. And so COVAX was established this platform to deal with the vaccine of COVID the same way, pretty much, right? That the global fund, I think, I think the mentality, I actually have a feeling it's pretty much like a failure right now um, because governments are not really utilizing the platform again. And I'm not sure whether you see Um, whether you see countries like um, like where you operate, like Mexico, the States, Canada, um, taking that platform as, as a whole, or whether you think it's just like the first wave and then it's going to come uh, and be more useful? No, I think there are two different things, or two things together here. One, one is that um, we clearly are not good at learning from, from the past. Because within the international community, WHO, we were there in Geneva so many, many years ago, and we were experiencing the first, after the, the previous pandemic of influenza in 2009, H1N1, you remember. Within WHO, we built a system precisely to avoid what you just described as chicken without head running around, which is what we did then. So. Government, societies, everybody just reacted out of fear. Chaos came. Everybody just shut down and tried to see for themselves, which again was completely self-defeating. As a result of that, we built a phenomenal platform that created a mechanism whereby countries first and foremost would react based on epidemiological criteria. What is it? What it does make sense? Or it makes sense to stop the pandemic from spreading. Not only how I protect myself, how I stop the pandemic. Right. That was number one. And number two, we worked very closely with the pharma industry, with the big ones, with the five major producers of vaccines, uh, influenza vaccines at the time. 
after a year of intense negotiations, we reached a phenomenal agreement uh, with them. They were very helpful and very understanding. So how to, for example, scale up manufacturing of vaccines that is challenging. How That's to, affordable. How to make them affordable, how to send them to the right places that otherwise they simply don't have them, etc. So the system is there. Now I have to say that Years later, different pandemic and way more serious than that, we honestly didn't use what we had. We started in a way all over again. Now, that said, COVAX exists, which is an idea of the UN, Secretary General Guterres. It's a very good idea. What is it? It is a platform, basically, that gets funds from richer countries, and donations, contributions from foundations, etc. And then those two things. One is with the funds it has, it also comes a purchasing power or bargaining power rather with the pharma industry. That was a concept. So they could acquire vaccines in a competitive way, let's say, right. and then send these vaccines to the poorer countries. And number two, let's say middle-income countries or more, Mexico or Canada, could also join this fund, putting money to buy vaccines, not to get them for free, but to buy them. So the system itself, it, the concept is very good. What are, what are the challenges? Two challenges. First, not enough resources. Now with the new US administration, funds are coming. But second is the production capacity of vaccines. Yeah. That's the biggest challenge. And the biggest challenge that the pharma has now is how can they scale up quickly the vaccines? We need 12 billion or so doses. And the total capacity is 2, 3 billion. I don't, don't take me too, too seriously on that. I don't remember exactly the figures I saw very recently, but it is very dramatic. So I think it's a question of being very creative because if they can do it, the farm is very good and there's, there's, there's capacity. Uh, they have to be creative, imaginative. Governments have to support the farmer so they can scale up quickly. If they scale up and countries, richer countries, keep funding COVAX, we, we can do it. But, but the longer it takes, the more dramatic it becomes because then we have the variants. And again, we enter a vicious circle that is going to be very difficult to be broken. And and I I mean, like I I really when we were talking about the chicken without head, I I, I mean it. I'd like for um, for for those of you just to illustrate. Literally, it was um, the religious leaders that were like against distributing, distributing condoms, the activists that oh, were tying themselves to the desks of the senators until oh, yes. they did something. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, like governments that were panicking, a lot of uh, philanthropists that were trying to help their own friends that were dying, yeah. um, governments that were talking to each other. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was like from that cacophony came a voice singing from the same song shit. And um, it was all about getting affordable minutes, affordable drugs for everybody. And that was putting a lot of pressure on pharma, uh, talking to them, but also putting a lot of pressure on the purchasing power capacity yeah. to deliver, to deliver uh, and purchasing power, uh, deliver uh, production capacity in so many, in so many different ways, which I think that pharma was outstanding. At that time, and yeah. I think that we can uh, we can go back to that memory of that time in which you know, like they really reduced their prices, and governments were. Oh. And, and let me say something that very serious, very important. Years ago, and now you still see it again. There's still miscommunication between governments and the industry, and something from the government side we on the government side or the public side need to do much better is to keep conveying a clear message that we need a strong pharmaceutical industry, yeah. profitable pharmaceutical uh, industry with capacity and we need to help it. And the pharmaceutical industry needs to hear that message 
loud and clearly, needs to hear and understand that these challenges that you hear everywhere, precisely because of the drama we are living, they are not challenges to the business itself, or they should not be. It should not be a questioning of the credibility and the legitimacy of the industry. On the contrary, we need a strong pharma. And also the pharma knows, and, and, and it's, I think, clear about that, that one thing is to produce and to manufacture bicycles for consumer goods. And the other is to manufacture things that are needed for people to live. Mm -hmm. that, that, that makes or, or brings the, or makes the nature of the farm a very critical singular business. But again, we need a strong one. We need to support them and we need to help them do what they are supposed to, to do. But it's challenging. There is a huge communication issue there that needs to be worked out. And there's a huge communication issue as well. I'm mean, like, I have to bring it home, right? Like within within the country and what I'm seeing in the States. And I would love to go back and just like see what you're seeing in Canada, wherever you can comment on that. But uh, communication in pharma and also companies, just to yeah. put it out there, um, to some degree, uh, it is... It is shocking to me that there are services, there are uh, availability of issues uh, and services and drugs that people can access, not only that, not necessarily the vaccine, but in general, mm -hmm. that minorities within countries are not aware of, are not accessing because they just simply don't know. In the case of the Latino community, the U.S. Hispanic community, 60 million people, 18% of the population, um, 44% of Latinos were in denial of COVID three months after the pandemic had hit. And that is related to uh, a huge issue that the world is living that is making the pandemic even worse, which is distrust. Distrusting everything, distrusting information, distrusting media, distrusting the government, distrusting, I don't know what to do, I don't know whether this is right or this is wrong. And what was shocking to me, Ambassador, was that 117 companies that changed their communication budgets, communication messages from selling to solving, meaning if I have a product, if I have cereal, if I have a shampoo, if I have something, I'm not going to be... Uh, advertising my product. I'm going to be advertising health uh, issues. Yep. I'm going to be talking about what do you do in case you have these symptoms and so on. From 117 companies that changed their communications during the first six months of COVID, yep. only, seven, only 13 addressed Hispanics or went into language or went to target them. And so there's no surprise, there shouldn't be any surprise that Hispanics were disproportionately affected at the health level, yeah. uh, that we were disproportionately scared to, to a degree in which vaccination has dropped to 50% in the Latino community. And that is not even related to COVID. COVID created even more fear for vaccines to a degree that now we're not like taking uh, packages of, 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 of vaccines like um, measles and others. So there is a risk of outbreak as, yes. a, as a huge lack of awareness and investment in communications from pharma and other companies to their to their employees, to their communities, because if there's one thing that I have learned from the Edelman Trust Barometer is that uh, the highest trusted institution that for many people, at least the Hispanic community, the number one trust source of information is my boss, is my employer, sí. is the company I work for. It's absolutely not the media. It's absolutely not, sí. you know, like in general. Not even governments. Not, like absolutely not governments. Governments drop like crazy. But yeah. so it is really important that area of communication of pharma within companies, but also pharma and other, uh, and other companies towards their citizens because people are watching and people are trusting you and you just need to um, be able to address that. And I don't know whether, I don't know whether, yeah. No, I, I agree. I would add that it's certainly there's a huge challenge of communication, as we were saying, and I'm very glad to, to hear what you are saying. I, I didn't know it. Very good. Now, deeper than that is a question of business models. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is companies understanding that sustainability in the broadest possible way is the only way companies will remain in business in the future. 
is not ethics again, it's not philosophy, it's not morality, doing the right thing because we are moral. Fair enough, all that is there, obviously. But most than that is that if companies do not pursue a sustainable or sustainability as a business model, green uh, energy, health, quality of your workers, or services to your workers, working with a community you are serving or you are operating, etc., etc., etc. Your, I wouldn't say companies' days are counted, of course not, but profitability will be very difficult. If companies want to keep growing, that's the number one thing to do. And at the same time, society is demanding this. Yeah. Society, and, and I get so, on the one hand, fascinating, fascinated, and on the other, so enthusiastic. When, when, when you see young people, young people are angry. And there is a sort of fault line between our generation and younger generations, where it, it is not only they are younger and see things differently. The value system is changing, and their values, the value system, value system is precisely much more on protect the planet, protect health, works, rights, the community, etc., etc. And they are expecting and demanding uh, this uh, from businesses. So communication, critical, changing business models equally so, or even more so. And also understanding that um, we're at the end of the day, I know it sounds so cliche, isn't it? Like we're all interconnected. But in reality, if you vaccinate everyone in America, everyone in the States, and we do not have anyone in Africa, not even health workers or um, teachers um, get vaccinated or Latin America uh, and others, it's going to come back and bite you. It's self-defeating. Say why? It's self-defeating. It's self-defeating for the simple reason of what you said that is no, not a cliche. Interconnection. No country in the world, as no community within a country, lives in a vacuum. Before, years ago, decades, we could argue that we lived in a vacuum where we could isolate ourselves and pursue our own things internally. Now that's impossible. Communications. Trade. Travel. Trade. It's, it's just that the movement is so massive. In, and it's on top Globally. That is unstoppable. You, you, you can't stop it and you don't want to stop it either because that depends your own growth, development, future, etc. So the, the virus just jumps. There's, there's no way you can stop it. So how, how, how you can protect yourself? Let's protect everybody. Let's say you get immunization in one country. Let's say in the US or in Mexico or in Canada, you get full immunization. Fair enough. But in Africa or in other parts of the world, new variants will keep uh, being developed or discovered because that's the nature of, of viruses. They mutate and the new virus will keep coming. And the vaccine you have will not be enough to protect you against those variants. So it's self-defeating. That's why the only way you can deal with this is by doing it together. And to your point on Hispanics in, in the US or minorities in the US, that's a, that's a real problem of inequality. Yeah, Inequality is not just not being equal. Inequality means that everything surrounding communities, surrounding communities is meant to keep them there or not meant, has as a consequence to keep them there. So their access to services, their access to information, and their access to opportunities is way more limited than the rest of the community. And you see this here, you see this in my own country, in our own country, and you see this everywhere. That's why inequality is one of the major, major challenges we need to address, again, not only for morality, ethics, and all yeah. that. It's a self-preservation thing. We have to address it. And, and for the audience, uh, for the audience of this uh, of this summit, uh, a very clear message. It's you said self-preservation. 
And I would say self-interest. You, self-interest. There's absolutely, there's no way that your companies can be hiring without Hispanics, that can be selling without Hispanics. So it is really not only a responsibility, but an opportunity for you to realize how scared we are as a community, how frightened we are to go and access services of health because we don't understand what, what is at stake, how uh, little we can afford to stop working. In yeah. some instances, how, um, how, how much we have been devastated because we're small businesses, entrepreneurs, and independent workers that work precisely in the industries that have been affected the most that are coming back later. But because of the resilience of our community, because of our hard working, you better actually have um, really strong investment in information um, uh, to your employers, to your community, to your consumers. You really want to make an effort to investigate how much of um, how much of the access you're providing uh, for people that trust you the most, for people that actually have a purchasing power growing 70% larger than any other group. So the Latino community is growing faster than China. And if you're not investing in the Latino community, you're missing a great opportunity. So I think that this is, this is a a message saying like, well, if you, if you didn't see it, I hope that this would be a message for you to understand, uh, for you to understand that it's important for you to take action. Yeah. I just, let me add something. Uh, the most important asset for a company is human capital, is, is, is the people. Hispanics represent a goldmine in terms of human capital. Capacity, education, work ethics is really very impressive. So companies should not miss that. Absolutely. I agree completely. So Thank you're you so, a leader. So much. Oh, <laughs> Both of you us are so excited it. to hear Ambassador Juan Jose Gomez Camacho. Go on, Iri. <laughs> so I think if you're a leader, there's a lot to think about. You know, one of the issues is this idea around vaccine nationalism. It's one of the issues we discussed in the podcast. It's one of the issues that you discussed there with the ambassador as well. So long story short, what affects one affects the other. And it really makes no sense for us to consider having one part of the population completely covered and vaccinated and having the others not having access because at the end of the day, because people move, it will actually come back with different, bigger and more, um, more, um, intelligent bugs, the super bug, the super, uh, the super pandemic that has a risk because we're all interconnected. So vaccine nationalism has to be relaxed and we have to find ways in which to do it. COVAX as Ambassador Gomez Camacho mentioned, is a good idea, but it has to be implemented and is failing today. Mm. We also heard that a lot of corporate leaders that are attending this summit have an incredible role to play to informing and somehow providing trust to their employees and their consumers about like getting access to the services in health that they require, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's testing and others, because trust has fallen so low and mm. people trust their employees in number one place. So there's a role to play for all corporations to take an active role in being a source of information for your employees, for your consumers, and for your community. And I think the third thing is that we all have to fight the fear in any conversation that you have with people who may express some idea of vaccine hesitancy. We all have a role to play. I remember when I interviewed the representative from Gavi, um, Tabani Mafosa, for the podcast, he was saying that his the thing that keeps him up at night as a, as a public health expert at Gavi, part of COVAX, is that he can do absolutely everything to get the vaccine to Zimbabwe, where his mother lives. And his mother says to him, no, I don't trust it. I'm scared. So we all have a role to play in spreading facts and not the virus. And not fear, whether it's in social media, media and everything else. And that's why our podcast is offered to you from us to you, Global uh, Minnesota with love. So we'll put that uh, to Mark Ritchie for you all have access to it because we just need to spread information in all ways uh, that we can to make sure that people understand the pros and cons and can take, can take informed decisions about what they want to do. So we want to say thank you for the opportunity of talking to you. Congratulations, Global Minnesota, 
uh, taking these important conversations to celebrate World Health Day, April 7th. From Iri Losh and myself, thank you so much. Happy World Health Day. Thank you so much, Claudia, and thank you for weaving together how our work on sustainable development goals can take us into new areas around health equity and equality. We know these issues are interwoven and occasions like World Health Day and World Food Day and others give us an opportunity to go deeper, to meet new partners, but also to remember and refresh uh, the work that we're doing. I mentioned a little bit earlier that um, these questions of health equity and equality, these are emotional and they stir us up. They make us want to be more active, to do things. And so we've arranged for any of you who would like to continue with a conversation, because we know today has been a lot of talking at you over this Zoom. Um, but um, Mornita's Table is a local nonprofit organization here in the Twin Cities uh, that's been curating conversations about health equity around the country and around our state um, uh, on behalf of Blue Cross Blue Shield and others. And um, we're going to have one of those special conversations curated by Mornita's. Um, when I get done thanking a few people, there'll be a scroll and there'll be uh, an email where you can just uh, click on that and, and you'll get the information right away, um, 5.30 to 7. And it will be a conversation, a curated community conversation, kind of limited in size. So, you know, let us know if you're interested. But we know that today's um, panel and today's theme, uh, this is the beginning of a conversation or maybe it's the middle of a conversation, but it's not the end of the conversation. Global Minnesota is committed to these issues of equity, of equality, and how they fit together in our longer term plans of holding an expo here in Minnesota on health and wellness, connecting with our partners in Dubai who are looking at a legacy of creating an inclusive global health system that's not crisis prone and is prepared for the future. So uh, those of you who were with us all day, those of you who came for this last hour or participated off and on, thank you so much for your interest in the topic, your interest in equity, your interest in figuring out ways to all of us make a difference. And I think this final panel repeated the notion that we've been hearing all day long, that we've come to a place where solving the challenge of the COVID pandemic will require all of us in some form or fashion becoming immune through vaccination or maybe having COVID. But if we don't get there fast enough, the new variants will keep coming and coming and coming and they will challenge us and maybe push us back to day one again. So we're in a race. And today we heard about the importance of all of us being safe before any of us can be safe. And we wanna be able to continue our work and the work of other organizations that you might've heard today or you might get connected to, to make sure that we are carrying that forward. Again, this was a day of many people's contributions, our entire staff and board and volunteers and interns. Uh, this is a really big effort, these international days. And some of you know, we do these on World Food Day and International Day of Education and others. So um, we thank you for participating today. And um, if you'd like to be kept informed, sign up for our newsletter on our Global Minnesota webpage. And if you're a member, thank you so much because your membership really does make these kind of free programs possible. And if you're not yet a member and you'd like to help support this kind of global policy and world affairs programming, these issue days and these special opportunities, please consider joining. And again, there's information there on the webpage. I wanna thank our premier sponsor today, GHR Foundation, and we were uh, really blessed to have um, Amy Goldman, the executive director and president of the board of GHR. It's um, 
amazing partner of ours here in the Twin Cities who uh, blends their focus on the local with their focus on the global, really committed to uh, racial justice and social equity, and uh, really have been a key institutional supporter, um, uh, uh, institutional member for Global Minnesota. So thank you again. And thank you to the other sponsors, King Solution and Blue Cross Blue Shield and our corporate members of uh, leading corporate members, Carlson Family Foundation and Delta Airlines, Cargill, Medtronic, United Health Group, and our program partner, World Affairs Council of America, and our promotional sponsors, our organizations that are our key uh, allies in work and helping to get the work out. So today we were using the separate YouTube page for American Sign Language. Um, and so those will be um, also put into um, an archive form and they'll be available on our website and our YouTube page. So you'll get information about that. Uh, it'll have some subtitles and languages, uh, but you can check on our Global Minnesota website for the video descriptions on where to find those that have the American Sign Language um, and other translations. And again, St. Cloud State is our incredible uh, sponsor and, and pr promoter and really our partner in making sure that our programming is becoming more and more accessible. And um, it's just been great to work with and thank them. So we've reached the end of this particular day, but after there will be continued conversations, I mentioned that earlier. Uh, so watch for the scroll that will happen after I'm completed. And um, keep in mind the messages. These will be available and the various uh, recordings will be on our webpage. It usually takes us about a week to get it all there. But um, if you have not registered, so we don't have your email and you would like to be kept informed, just go to the Global Minnesota webpage and, and just fill in the, the registration. That way we'll have your address and be able to keep you informed. There were a lot of different things that were woven together today. But my takeaway is that there is a kind of understanding from all kinds of people and all kinds of societies and cultures that not only uh, do we have to make sure we're all safe because we know that's what's going to be necessary for us and our families to be safe, but there's also a kind of turning towards that as a new way of understanding who we are as a humanity, our need to partner with others because we are in this all together <clears throat> and the value of the power of collaboration of partnership, whether it's to move an agenda faster or it's to make a scientific discovery more quickly. Um, but I do believe that the kind of reason why the day felt optimistic in the midst of understanding the level and scope of the death and dying and the long-term effects and the mental health effects and you know how many more um, cases there will be. And I mean, all of the things that you can imagine at this point in this pandemic where for six weeks, our global numbers have been going up and Brazil is over 300,000 deaths. The United States is heading towards 600,000. In the midst of that reality, with no sugar coating, people were seeing lessons that they've learned that they want to hang on to. People were seeing changes in the way that people understood their interconnectedness and beginning to see that institutions can be mobilized to help support those better angels, those pathways towards partnership and collaboration and cooperation that if we have an intention, we can find the amazing places of collaboration and partnership. We can reclaim our joy, as Aza told us in one of, the one of the last panels. We can find that opportunity to help build back better, not just with saying it and hoping that that happens, but by linking arms, putting our hands together, making the real hard work of tackling inequities 
And racial inequities in particular, a very difficult problem, very difficult conversations, yes, for sure. But knowing that the only way for us to be safe in our loved ones and families and communities to be safe is for all of us to be safe, gives us a new way of understanding the connection. Um, Senator Paul Wellstone in our state of Minnesota was famous for saying always, he said this all the time, we all do better when we all do better. And if Paul was here today, he would say, and you know what? In addition, none of us can be okay till we're all okay. Let's hope today is another step, a big step, a leap forward in helping us be working together to make sure that we are soon all able to be better because we've made it possible for all to be better as well. Thank you again to all who've watched and been part of this process today and have a good evening wherever you are or a good morning wherever you are or middle of the day. From all of us here at Global Minnesota, thank you for being part of World Health Day 2021 towards health equity and equality. Good day.